When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Welcome to the Project Upland Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting. We plan to take you into some of our favorite bird covers as we talk to the people that hunt them and the organizations that support them. We'll also break down the dogs, guns, and gear used to pursue them, and of course, we'll share the stories that celebrate this American tradition. It's one of those things that you do that, that feels timeless. My dad brought home our first Brittany when I was about 10 years old. The Red Gods are calling, and I must go. These are your stories. This is the Project Upland Podcast, presented by Onyx Hunt. I'm your host, Nick Larson. Welcome to the show for episode number 70. Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Download the Hunt app from the Apple, iTunes, or Google Play Store today and use the promo code PUP20. That's PUP20. That will get you 20% off your subscription for Onyx Hunt. If you're not an Onyx user already, or you need to resubscribe for this fall, you're going to want to do so. We had a call with Onyx last week, 
Got a little heads up on some of the features that are coming out this fall. They are always working to improve this product. It's one of the reasons why I absolutely love using it. Onyx Hunt goes with me everywhere I go. Whether I'm hunting, running dogs, training, or just going to the lake, I've always got Onyx, and you should too. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by our friends at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. You haven't experienced grouse camp until you've experienced it at Pine Ridge, finest rough grouse and woodcock hunting experience located in northern Minnesota. Find out more about it at pineridgegrousecamp.com. And by Dog Trick Callers, we're still talking about the new T&B dual system. This is a training and beeper locating collar setup. You can have two dogs on there. It's got two individual control systems so you got two dogs two collars they both have their own set of buttons and they both have their own 127 level rheostat stimulation dial so you got individual stimulation control on both collars where many systems you have to switch back and forth between the two collars it's a great setup from dogtra i think people are really going to love this when they get it in their hands i've used it i have it it's exactly what you expect from dogtra find out more about their products their collars everything else they do at dogtra.com and by Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food. Out in the field, how you prepare determines how you'll perform. With balanced fat and protein to support peak condition in your bird dog, Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food enhances strength, energy, and endurance, so when that tailgate finally drops, you and your dogs are ready for anything. Strong, focused, ready for anything, that is a Yukonuba dog. And by Gordy and Sons Outfitters, when your boots have the proper tread, you never notice how slippery it is. When your hunting jacket features the right liner, your body temperature won't enter your mind. When your shooting vest allows total freedom of movement, you won't think twice about swinging through that quail. At Gordy and Sons, they want you to focus solely on the hunt and not the performance of your gear. That's why the Gordy family has personally curated the best-in-class gear from around the globe for their store. Find out more about the gear, the guides, the expertise, all of it by visiting gordiansons.com. And finally, by Dakota 283 Kennels. Kennels built to last a lifetime. One-piece roto-mold design kennels, frame steel door, everything you and your dog need for a safe and successful hunting trip. Head over to dakota283.com and use one of two promo codes, P-U-F-I, to receive a free forever insert with the purchase of a G3 kennel or P-U-D-D for a free Dine and Dash product with the purchase of any kennel. That's dakota283.com. All right, this week's winner of the podcast giveaway, Dennis Mankey. Dennis shared a recent episode of the Project Upland podcast. Thank you, Dennis. Project Upland t-shirt headed your way very soon. Anybody listening could be next week's winner of the podcast giveaway. All you have to do is make a meaningful contribution to the show. You can do that in a number of ways. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review in your podcast app. And a little tidbit here, if you leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever it is, send me a screenshot of that review. Sometimes those are hard to track the people down that leave the reviews. I'm able to find a few of them, but they can be tough. So if you leave a review, send me a screenshot. Send it to me via Facebook, Instagram, email, whatever you can do. Just let me know you left a review. We appreciate it. And thank you for sharing the podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast. You can send us some feedback. Email me at nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's jump into the episode today. Our guest today is a gentleman that many folks maybe know. If you listen to this podcast, I suspect you might be a YouTube watcher. And if you're on YouTube and you're searching for bird dog content, I would have a hard time believing you've never come across videos from Bird Dogs Afield. And the host of Bird Dogs Afield is Paul Fuller, and he is our guest today. He's a New Hampshire resident. He loves to hunt grouse and woodcock. He loves bird dogs, but he loves to travel. 
and wing shoot wherever he can. He and his wife Susan do the show Bird Dogs Afield. It's available on YouTube or via his website. We kind of talk about all that stuff today. We talk about Paul's origin story, the history of Bird Dogs Afield, and what lies ahead. I hope you enjoy it. I had a great time chatting with Paul. Let's welcome him into the conversation from Bird Dogs Afield, Paul Fuller. All right, Paul Fuller of Bird Dogs Afield, welcome to the Project Upland Podcast. How are you today, Paul? Well, I'm just wonderful, Nick. Thank you so much. It's it's a pleasure to be with you, and I, I appreciate the invitation. Oh, absolutely. It's my pleasure to have you on the podcast, Paul. I've been looking forward to this as we spoke a little bit last week. I have been, uh, I've been a fan of Bird Dogs Afield for quite a while, and I think I told you that I first came across your videos when I had a... I didn't even have a, a bird dog yet. I had my deposit in on my first bird dog. So this would have been back in 2013 or 14. And I was uh, a typical millennial all over the place, Googling and YouTubing and looking for all kinds of stuff on English setters. And I came across some some bird dogs afield episodes. And I'm pretty sure, you know, I probably saw some some videos with you out running through the woods with Dave Hughes and some of the other guys that you typically hang out with and and uh, here it is five years later, and you're still you're still doing videos. You obviously have a good time doing them, Paul. Well, I do, and I'm still running around the woods with Dave Hughes. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I do. I, I thoroughly enjoy it, Nick. It's, it's a lot of fun. I'm a huge fan of good dog work and, uh, you know, well-mannered dog in the field. And, and I just love to watch the dogs. I love to watch them work. I love to see them on point. And uh, if if you've got a versatile dog, why well, I love to see after the point too, the the shot, the retrieve, and it's just such a joy. I I like to say that uh, you know watching the dogs work is probably more more fun for me anyway than shooting a bird, and uh, although that comes with it, and and if you if you've got a dog that you're teaching to retrieve, why well, you've got to shoot some birds for them too, so. But it's just a, it's a great joy. It's, it's really a retirement job for me. And it's, I couldn't have asked for a better retirement job. So I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. And, you know, we're always looking forward to the next, next video, Paul. And we are going to talk about bird dogs of field today. But before we get into all that, I want to, I want to get to know you a little bit, let the listeners get to know you a bit. We'll talk kind of your origin story. But uh, first of all, it's your, I believe you're out in New England, but why don't you tell us yourself? Put us on the map, Paul. Tell us where you call home base. Well, home base is Durham, New Hampshire, and that's in southeast New Hampshire. It's it's fairly close to the ocean, but it's uh, only about a 10-minute drive to get into Maine, and we love to run our dogs and hunt in both northern New Hampshire and Maine. You know, we just love the rough grouse and the woodcock and uh and I think you've got some origin in the rough grouse area, so that's that's what we love, and and we're we're positioned well for that. We're positioned close to I ninety five, which if we're heading west or south, why it's an easy drive to uh, for us. So we we love New England. Uh, I did a I write a monthly gun dog column, and many years ago, I wrote an article on where the best 
place to live is if you're an avid upland bird hunter and pointy dog owner. And I actually chose Western Minnesota. (laughs) (laughs) I've never, I've never lived there, but you know, you've got, then you would have access to grouse, woodcock, uh, you can get in a Canada easily or in the South Dakota easily. So you've got pheasants, you've got huns, you've got sharp tails. Get, get down Oklahoma in a day's drive for some quail hunting. I, I think that, that would be ideal, but I'm, I'm pretty well, uh, cemented here in, in New England. So I think I'll stay here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I certainly have not, you know, hunted all over the place. But I, I do live in Minnesota, and I do think it's a good place to live for upland bird hunting, not only be, because we have some really excellent rough grouse and woodcock hunting in, in the northern part of the state, but we are, we're right on that line, you know, between the Northwoods and the prairie, so we can get to places pretty pretty quickly to to really expand our opportunities. But, you know, as you say, there are, there are a lot of a lot of areas in the country that provide some phenomenal upland hunting opportunities. And I know you, you try to get around and, and hunt as many of those places as you can, as I hope to in the future. But New England is, is a cool place. I've never hunted out there, but certainly it is rich and full of tradition, especially the rough grouse and woodcock hunting tradition. There's so much history there. And I, I imagine that you are pretty immersed in it yourself. Well, I am. And, and talking about the history, uh, many of the, the great book authors, you know, Corey Ford, uh, Burton Spiller, uh, Frank Wilner, um, they all come from New England. So it, there is a lot of, a lot of the road to Tinkhamtown is, is actually a, a village in New Hampshire. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that story or not. I am. But, it's uh, one of my favorite yeah. stories, and and obviously I'm not alone in that opinion. It's been voted one of the greatest sporting stories of all time, really. Ever, sure. Yeah, yeah that's a Corey Ford story. Yeah, and uh, Tinkham Town is is really just a a small place up in really northeastern uh, New Hampshire, and uh, so it's 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 a great just actually just south of of Ossipee. So anyway, um, so I I do I love New England. There's a lot of history here, and and a lot has been written about New England grouse and and woodcock hunting, and and I thoroughly enjoy it. Yeah, kind of a little sidebar actually. In the last issue of the Project Upland magazine, we shared. I believe the essay was actually included in his book, Andrew Wayman, a bird hunter from out west. He wrote about the, he wrote about some of the history and what we know and kind of what we don't know about the road to Tinkhamtown, the story and the actual plays. It was a really cool article in Project Upland magazine. But if, if anybody hasn't read Road to Tinkhamtown and you're an upland bird hunter, especially if you are a ruffed grouse and woodcock hunter, you would do yourself very well to read that story. And maybe, uh, I don't know if you would join me in this, Paul, but maybe uh, have a box of uh, Kleenex nearby when you read it. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, great, great story. Yeah, it's excellent. Paul, so, so New England now, is that where you've always been? And what I really want to know is, where did upland hunting begin for you? It began in the cornfields of Ohio. Okay. Uh, I'm a native uh, Buckeye. That's an Ohio boy. I was born and raised in farm country, and I could open up my bedroom window in the morning and see a whole flock of pheasants just 
in my my uncle's cornfield, which was probably only 30 feet from the house that I grew up in. And uh, so I we had a lot of lot of pheasants, and I hunted pheasants almost every day of of the season. Uh, I'd come home from school. Now back back then it was nothing to take your shotgun and throw it in the back of your car if you were of driving age and take it to the high school and and leave, sure. leave it in the parking lot with a shotgun in the back seat or in the trunk. And uh, there were a few spots I would stop at on the, on the way home from school uh, without my dog. Um, but when I got if I went straight home, I would get out my father's English setters and uh, go. If there was snow on the ground, why I would track them. I could always tell the difference between a hen and a rooster and uh, would track roosters until I flushed them. My father, as I mentioned, my father had a couple of setters. And I don't, you know, I was I was a young man then. I don't recall a lot. I remember that they were good on point. I don't remember whether they were broke to the to the flush or the shot. But uh, they they were good bird finders. I do remember that I always had to run and run down a wounded bird uh, as a kid because our setters just didn't do that. And if you don't mind, I'll add a little bit to that story. Please uh, do. Yeah, my father was a, a, a veterinarian. He was a country vet. He he primarily served the farmers. And uh, but we were out in our yard one day and our neighbor when i say neighbor probably at least a quarter of a mile maybe a half mile away he came pulling in the yard and he said to my he got out of his truck and he said to my dad he said doc he said i think i've got a breed of dog here that you may have never seen and my father said well maybe what do you have and so he opened up the other door and out jumps this german short haired pointer and I looked at it and I thought, wow, what a what a pretty dog that is. And I got to know it a little bit, petted it, and, and the neighbor said, Paul, he said, now, anytime you want to take this dog hunting, and he said, you know, it needs work. He said, just come on over. It'll always be in its in its run outside of the house if, if I'm out working, meaning the neighbor. And uh, so I, I took him up on that, and I went over and, and took that dog out a lot, and so it may not, that dog had no training at all, and it may not have been quite as good at, at pointing and holding the birds as the setters were, but I discovered something that I had never seen before. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that was flush a bird, I shot it, and the dog would pick it up and bring it to me. <laughs> <laughs> and and my, my father's setters had never done that, and I thought, well, this is interesting. I've never never had a dog bring a bird to me. And so I kind of gravitated towards that that German short hair pointer. I mean, I would still take my dog my dad's setters out, but would gravitate towards that that short hair. And I kind of uh developed a love for short hairs. And when I when college came and and then 4 years in in the Air Force, and getting away from home, I I kind of got away from the dogs for a while. I I actually Nick developed a, uh, a a terrible addiction to fly fishing. Uh oh. 
<laughs> yeah. And, and that addiction lasted for several years. However, I developed a very good friend, and, and I came to New England via the Air Force okay. in, the, in the service, and that's how I ended up here. And, and I just grew to love the, the, the lakes and the rivers and the mountains and the ocean. It was just all right here. It was just beautiful. And in Ohio, where I grew up, it was, it was just farmland, which is beautiful in itself. I mean, it's yes. the, the cornfields and the, the wheat fields. That's, that's also beautiful. But I, I really enjoyed New England and decided to stay here after the service. And that's, that's how I made my roots here in, in, in New England. But what I was going to say is I, one of my fly fishing friends was an avid upland hunter. And he's still alive at 80, I think he's 85, and just bought a, a new pup a few years ago. Good for him. Uh, the, the last man living that has hunted extensively with both Tap Tapley and Bill Tapley. Oh, wow. And uh, his name is Skip Rude. And so he would invite me every year, at least two or three times, to go upland bird hunting to keep to keep the fire burning in my stomach. So we would go and and he always had a great Britney. All those years he always would have a great Britney's and uh, wonderful dogs, just uh, great bird finders, great on point, steady to the flush, not always to the shot, but still a good safe dog. So that's how I stayed in it and and when I finally had more time and was winding down my my career, which was in sportsman shows, producing sportsman shows. And in Minnesota, your big one is the Northwest Sports Show in Minneapolis. Yeah. And uh, I did that out east for 30, 32, 33 years. But as I was winding that career down, I told my wife that I was going to break my addiction of fly fishing by getting back to bird dogs. And I told her that based on that love from that German short hair that I met in 1962, I believe it was, why I was going to uh, get back to bird dogs and have short hairs. And she she agreed completely. And and so I found a good breeder and, and bought a puppy. And uh, that was a Dylan. And that's how I got back into, into bird dogs. And if, if you want to hear the story on on how I develop bird dogs afield, I can tell that too. Yes, I, we will get to that, but okay. a All couple right. questions for you before we move on to that. So if I'm gathering this, you know, you're talking about getting back into bird dogs towards the end of your career. So you you took a pretty long hiatus from upland bird hunting. Not that you weren't going, you were going with some of your friends, but you weren't a, an avid, obsessed bird hunter through, through all those years, correct? Well, I... You could say I was. It's just that the fly fishing itch was a little, gotcha. a little, a little stronger, more scratchy. It was okay. a little, yeah. <laughs> and I, the only thing I didn't have was the dog. And, okay. Uh, but I, I couldn't wait. I was very excited every time Skip would call and and we would go bird hunting. We used to, we always hunted the the Spiller Tapley uh, string of pearls, and uh, which those covers were still pretty good for quite a while. They're, they're all fairly overgrown now, but uh, they were pretty famous covers. But I kept that going. You know, the, the urge was, was there. I just didn't have the dog, and I, I didn't have time for the dog. 
and and so until I I bought Dylan, I wasn't really back into the dogs. I, I you know I, now I'm in a hundred percent, but uh, not then. Got it. Yeah. So it was always there for you. You always excited, but you were going with other people's dogs, and and like you know, right. like you know now. I mean, and you knew. I guess you knew this from when you were younger. When you have when you have a dog, it's it's uh, you, you feel you have an obligation to take that dog hunting, right? Oh, you sure do. Yeah, yeah you do. I I wrote a story about my monthly gun dog column, oh five six years ago. It was called the wrong address, and it was all about it was all about bird dog people selling puppies to uh, apartment dwellers and so forth that had no intention of ever running the dog and. Uh, uh, giving it any exercise and, and it's just, it's really not a good thing. The, the well-known gun dog writer, Tom Davis wrote a story several years ago and he ended it and he, that was almost the same topic. And he ended it with, you see the sadness in their eyes as they come to realize they're never going to hunt. And, uh, it's, it's important that, that bird dogs are are in the right home in in my mind. Yeah, sure. Speaking of writers, Tom Davis, he's he's one of my favorites. I most often see his columns in Shooting Sportsman magazine, uh, but I right. I really really enjoy his writing. Another one you mentioned, Tap Tapley. Now I know that name, but I don't. You know, I'm familiar with most of the most of the common names, especially in the grouse hunting world, you know, the Burton Spillers, the George Bird Evans, the Harndon Foster. I've heard of them all. Tap Tapley, I've heard his name. I'm a little less familiar on him. He was a, he was a New England guy. Did he write books? I'm pretty sure he did. Is that right, Paul? Oh, yeah, he, he did. He also wrote for years and years and years. He had Taps Tips. Ah, okay. Field, I've heard of that. Field and, Field and Stream Magazine. Okay. Yeah, for years. Yeah. And he was, he and his wife were on the cover of Look Magazine, or was it, or was it Life Magazine? Maybe it was Life, many, many years ago in, in a canoe. And he was just an all-around well-known outdoor writer in his time. Okay. And, and I used to go, when when Skip and I would hunt up in that area, uh, the Alton, uh, New Hampshire area, why we would always go, after the hunt, we would always go visit Tap. He was, he, you know, spurting up... <laughs> Spiller had passed on, and and Tap wasn't hunting much anymore. But we would always go visit, and he loved to have visitors and talk about the old days and so forth. So, uh, yeah, a very well known name in New England. Well, nationwide too. Was he a Brittany guy as well? You know, I, I think he was. Yes, he was. Okay, he was because although I had never hunted with him, uh, I hunted with his son Bill Tapley, okay. who used to write for the Upland Almanac, um, and, he, and has written many, many books. I don't think Bill Tapley had a dog at the time, but and, and Bill Tapley, as you may remember, owned Burton Spiller's famous Parker shotgun. And then when Bill Tapley passed on, someone bought it, and then Morris Baker from RST Shot Shells bought yes. it from that person. Okay. And, and Morris still has that shotgun. Okay. Okay. And that is, I'm, I'm getting, we're getting all cross because we're talking about like basically legends of, of the New England rough grouse world. But the, the Burton Spiller shotgun, that was a Parker shotgun. But then also William Harnon Foster, he was famous for a Parker shotgun, but that, that was the little gun, right? Do, do, are you familiar with that story? 
Yes, I am. Yeah. Yes, I am. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. So that's that obviously is one of the reasons why Parker shotguns have such a a strong presence in in the the rough grouse hunting tradition and history. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. If you go to a. Uh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say if you if you go to a a like a, a side by side shoot. And where they have exhibitors under tents and so forth. Why there's always a lot of parkers there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We actually have one coming up in my hometown of Duluth, a side by side shoot next weekend. I'm really hoping to get up there. It's they do it every year, and it's a pretty. I think it's a pretty popular event. I just have never been able to line my schedule up, and I've got some travel next week, so we'll see. But I I hope to get there, and I I'm pretty sure that. Uh, Morris from, I don't know him personally, but a, a few friends of mine know him. Sometimes he had, he had come into this, this show, but I know it's a, it's a good shoot at the old Vermilion Sporting Clays Club in Duluth, uh, coming up here. Good, good. One other question, Paul, you mentioned something a while back when you were talking about growing up hunting pheasants in Ohio, you said you could always tell a rooster from a hen by following their tracks. Now I pretty much know nothing about hunting pheasants and I'm curious. How do you know? Well, the the rooster uh, track is just a little larger than the hen, and the middle the middle toe, let's say, is much longer than on a hen. Okay. And then there's also a spur mark, and ah, the hen doesn't have that. That so makes you sense. You can tell rather quickly if if it's if it's a, a rooster, and uh, if we had a a couple of inches of snow, I, I would just go out by myself because I would love to track those birds. And I, I loved it because they would explode in front of you when you believe, when you didn't expect it. Yes. Yep. And that was, that was always a thrill. You know, unfortunately, all that habitat is gone. I, there, you know, we're in the area I grew up, I'm sure there hasn't been a pheasant in 30 or 40 years, but uh, back then it was all cornfields and meadows yep. and so forth. So. Yeah. Well, excellent. Now, so, I, I, I just want to add a little bit to that. Go okay? ahead. Yeah. Um, I did shoot my first rough grouse, I would say, when I was maybe about 12. And I was scared that I had shot something that maybe I shouldn't have. Because sure. Because I had never, <laughs> never seen one. And it was in, the, in a woods that had been cut maybe 10 years previously uh, behind where I lived, and it wasn't on my, we were, my father only had about five acres, but on one side was a hundred acres that belonged to his brother, my uncle, and on the other side, about a hundred acres that belonged to his aunt. And she had had a piece that had been cut off, and I was going through that, and I, I don't recall whether I had one of my dogs or what, but I flushed this bird and it made a lot of noise. <laughs> and and I was worried all the way home, walking home, if my father was going to chastise me for shooting something I shouldn't have. And when I got home, he looked at it and he said, well, that's a grouse. He said, I haven't seen one of those in years. <laughs> so I was a bad boy, I guess, for shooting something that wasn't very plentiful. But it that was my first experience with rough grouse. Yeah, yeah, that's that's cool. I mean, certainly, I think those of us who got started hunting very young, we have some of those, you know, early formative stories where we 
we learned things in the woods and and maybe maybe you shot something without uh without identifying it but come to find out it was a rough grouse an, o- an ohio rough grouse i know northern ohio too and we had that for i don't know whether it was that night but the what we did at home is all we had to do was dress whatever we shot if it was a cottontail a pheasant sure. or whatever if we if we clean clean the inside out and and took the feathers off or the skin off it was a rabbit then we simply handed it to my mother and then she would take it from there and and we certainly ate everything that we killed and when we had that grouse i thought to myself boy this is this breast is just as good as a pheasant i'll never forget <laughs> that and 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 the rough grouse breast is you know, I like to say Purdue has never bred a chicken with a breast as good as a rough grouse. <laughs> yeah, they are excellent. That is for sure. That's for sure. All right, Paul. So Ohio to New England, eventually you got your first bird. Well, not your first bird dog, but you got back into bird dogs. You got Dylan, a German short hair. And, and actually, that's something that you and I share as far as the first time we kind of saw a German shorthair, I, that was growing up when I pictured a bird dog, I always knew I wanted one someday. When I pictured a bird dog, I pictured a German shorthaired pointer because of their look and just a classic hunting dog look. And I've always been fond of German shorthairs for that reason. Now I have, I obviously have a setter today, but um, still have a, have an appreciation for them as, as being, you know, kind of my first love of bird dogs really. But so you got the bird dog and what was the journey like from getting that bird dog, getting back into bird dogs and really taking, you know, head on back into upland hunting? How the heck did the idea for bird dogs, a field come about? Well, there's a very easy answer to that. Um, <laughs> I, and I'm, I want to be careful. I don't want to be negative towards any of my fellow TV show producers. But the ones, the TV shows I was watching, oh, 15 years ago, <clears throat> and there were two of them, and neither are still on the air. So I'm safe there. But the bird dog work was just terrible, Nick. I mean, it's just, you know, you would, they would, the hunters would high five and talk about what incredible bird dog work they just had. And there was one scene that really, really got me. And that's where some hunters, and this was a Texas hunt, and some hunters were elevated a bit and they could look down at the dogs on point. And when the quail flushed, the dogs chased and they're shooting at the birds and their dogs running everywhere, and it was just a mess. And I just thought, this is terrible, and it's terrible to show this to, to the American public. And, you know, there there are a lot of dogs, and I hate to say this on a public program, but there are a lot of dogs that take lead every year, and it's because we haven't done a good job of training our dogs. And those programs I watched, and in fact, one program they even interviewed the trainer who had sold the dogs to this guide and he said well all i can tell you is when i sold those dogs they were broke dogs but they sure aren't now i'll never forget that he said that on the same show he said that which told me that that the host of that program must not have been part of the editing definitely Uh, not (laughs) or had ever seen it because he 
he wouldn't have allowed that on there. I wouldn't think so. But yeah, but it was it was just the 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 bad dog work and Dave Trahan, who's a good friend. Oh of mine, yes, he's yep. President of of Navda and uh, and I was seeing. In fact, Dave assisted me with Dylan uh, in getting him trained because I had been out of it for so long. And uh, Dave and I used to talk about that. He used to say. Uh, you know, how in the world do they get on television with that kind of dog work? And, and that's what, that's what made me say, okay, I'm going to do something that's, that's a little bit different. And maybe we can show people that there is another way of doing it. And that's what gave me the incentive to start Bird Dogs Afield. We pause this episode of the podcast for just a moment to let you know that today's show is also brought to you by Trinity Kennels, home of the Apanuel Breton. Trinity Kennels French Brittany Spaniels are from champion bloodlines, field tested and family approved for over 30 years. Coming from the most prestigious and elite French bloodlines as well as American champions, Trinity Kennels is committed to producing premier Apanuel Bretons for the field trialer and foot hunter alike. We now return to the Project Upland podcast. And... You can you can fill me in on this, but I have always seen the videos on YouTube. I you know you have a Facebook presence. I always watch them on YouTube. Is that where it started? Is that the only place it's been? Is it available no, elsewhere? No, no. It, it for for quite a while I was on several broadcast TV stations. Okay, not yeah, not uh, cable TV. I I spoke with the cable TV people early on, and you know they wanted. They wanted you to buy 26 weeks at uh, $2,000 per week. And, and, you know, the cost was just way out of my budget, that's sure, for sure. sure. And uh, so I started buying individual. In fact, for many years, you talked about Duluth. We were on the Fox Channel in Duluth. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. So I, would, I bought broadcast TV. We were always on Saturday mornings. And uh, I was on in the Dakotas. I was on in Minnesota. Uh, I was on three stations in the in the north northeast. And uh, and then you know they started becoming more and more expensive. And of course they all had different uh, specifications. You had right. to, you had to be formatted differently. And I do all my own editing, so that was a lot of work doing that. And uh, with the increased cost, I just said, you know, why do I'm I'm going to just stay on YouTube, and uh, that'll give me that'll give me everything I need. Plus, I'm on my own website too. I have I don't know a hundred, maybe 130 episodes on my website. Okay, and probably on YouTube, two two hundred and thirty maybe. We've got close to two and a half million views on YouTube, so. I just decided I don't I don't need to buy broadcast or cable TV. Yes, yeah, set the yeah definitely technology made it made things easier for you. Set the timeline for for this. You know when when was it that you started doing bird dogs afield? Two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. Okay. Okay. Right. Yeah. So two thousand nine. So YouTube was a thing at, in two thousand nine. Did you get on there right away? No. No, I did not. Okay. No, I did not. No. I was buying the the uh, uh, broadcast TV stations, and I was on my own website. And then there was a there was a 
online, and I can't remember the name of it. Uh, there was an online hunting fishing uh, network at that time that I was on, and then it was uh, bought out by the Outdoor Channel. Okay. And I don't know if it's still in existence or not. It may be. But, uh, so we did. We did uh, broadcast TV. We did. Uh, our website, and we did that network, that fishing and hunting network. Yeah, yeah. That was initially all, all we did, and then, and then we started YouTube probably a year, a year later, and we've been on YouTube ever since. Yeah, and YouTube is, I mean, it's turned out to be just a great solution for, for a lot of people in the sense that it, the YouTube, YouTube has. I think when it became part of television, you know, the apps got loaded onto TVs and, exactly. and you know, the, oh, exactly. right. So yeah. you can watch it on, on your main TV. I mean, that's where I think the content really stepped up. And I mean, I often, very often go to YouTube to watch bird hunting content, bird dog content. And, sure. and that's, yeah. uh, it's been, it's yeah. been cool. So 2 million views. Do you have a, does YouTube send you a plaque for that? I don't, I don't know how exactly how they work. No, they don't. They okay. used to. They used to bug me a lot about about um, joining their, you know, their their profit sharing program, right. or I'm not sure what they called it. And I, I didn't do it because I was never sure what kind of ads they were going to put on. Well, now they they put their ads on whether you like it or not. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's it's still very good. You know, I, I I can't complain. I I I think it's it's and you mentioned watching it on TV. It's really a a t even if though it's on YouTube, it really is now a TV show because yes. all you have to do is use your remote and and there's YouTube. <laughs> so yep. it's just just like changing it to a different channel. Yep, you got a you got a ton of stuff really on demand with YouTube and, and it's great. And there, and there's more and more bird hunting content on there all the time. I mean, of course our, our stuff with project Upland is on there. You got bird dogs, a field on there. The flush uh, TV show is on there. I mean, there's lots of stuff. And then, and then you have the mix of, you have the mixing in of just all the DIY, the amateur stuff, you know, the GoPro footage yeah, and kind of sure, got, got whatever sure. you want. It's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 Yes, it is. It is. We're excited about it, and we're excited about uh, our fall coming up. So uh, we'll have some good programming done. Yeah, excellent. So, so the motivation was to show to show good bird dogs, good bird dog work, and good bird dog trainers. And that's one thing that I really do appreciate about bird dogs afield is you go right to you go right to the source. You know, guys like Dave Hughes and people and and Craig. Craig Doherty, is that how you say his last name, Doherty? Because you know yes, it him. Is. Yeah, okay, Correct. Craig yeah. Doherty. Um, I've got his book here, his his recent book, right in front of me. I'm I'm almost through it. I was uh, I had to apologize to him last week because it's taken me too long to read the book, but he's going to be on the podcast. We're going to talk about his new book. But you go right to those okay. guys, and you show their dogs in the woods. You talk to them about training, and you know, for people that are interested in training grouse dogs training bird dogs those are the guys you want to hear from that's for sure oh yeah yeah anytime you can get a hall of fame uh, trainer on on why you know it's it's pretty exciting and i i feel very fortunate that i've had many hall of fame trainers on my program so uh it's it's very exciting and it's you feel you feel good being around those people too i i love to go south and get on horseback and ride with those 
pro trainers. It's it's a lot of fun. How ha- how has making the connections with people like that? How has that improved you as a as a bird dog handler, bird dog owner? What have you picked up over over hanging out with with people like that? Well, you 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 pick up a lot. I mean. Farrell Miller, who, you know, everyone calls him the, the, when it comes to pointing dogs, the king, you know, he's, he's finished more national champions than anyone. And, and Farrell is always full of advice. I mean, he, uh, you know, he always says you, there are two things you have to remember. You can't teach a dog. You can't teach it to point and you can't teach desire the hunt. You know, that's either gotta, it's either gotta be there through genetics or it's simply not there. So, you know, but lots of things. Hoyle Eaton, you know, Hoyle Eaton is, uh, you know, he says you got to love your dog too. You, know? <laughs> uh, you, you can't treat it just like something that lives in a kennel. You know, you've got to love your dog too. So all of these, all of these people give you a little, uh, some tidbits and, and Hall of Fame trainer Dave Hughes. I mean, I've done, I don't know, eight, maybe eight programs. Yeah, quite a few. And, <laughs> excuse me. And we'll do We'll do another one here uh, within just a couple of weeks. So, uh, you know, and he's always got something. He loves to talk, you know. So he's always got something to say. And and I've been fortunate. I've I've filmed and hunted over Long Gone Madison, which Dave trained and handled. And I think that let me back up a little bit. Dave Marshall, who he's deceased now, but he was a very long time grouse dog trainer handler and field trial judge and dave used to say that that he's probably only seen truly three or four great grouse dogs i mean great grouse dogs and long gone madison was one of those and i filmed her in fact that episode i did on her probably has more i i think more views than any of my 230 some episodes on on youtube Long Gone Madison was just a fantastic dog, and she, you know, the in in my book, the definition of a good grouse dog is is a dog that can come on the bird and pin it. And you know, now the fast field trial dogs they say are best at that because they come on the bird so fast the bird hasn't had a chance to to flush, but they have to point at the very, very first sign of scent, or they're going to run over the bird. And I've watched the very best field trial dogs, setters and pointers, in the top trials, the Grand National, the Grand National Invitational, that have run over the birds. Now, the, the slower dogs, like the versatile hunting dogs, the short hair, is part of that, that group. They're a little slower, and... Maybe they will have the birds flush in front of them more than the fast dogs, but they don't come on the bird as fast. And they're, they, they, I, let me say this: they don't run over as many birds in my mind. Sure. Now, am I being negative towards field trout? No, I love them. I, but Long Gone Madison, one time when we had her down, and it, this is in the, the program I did with her, she pinned, she located, pointed, and pinned nine birds in an hour. Wow. And she was, you know, when you when you found her, and that's, you know, all we used on her was a bell, so we had to look for her. But when we found her, the bird was always there. You know? And now one time, there were three birds there, so that nine 
you know. Okay. <laughs> Excuse yeah. me. Was reduced to about six points. So six, yeah, six fines. She, yeah, but she, you know, that's truly a great grouse dog when they can do that. Now my short hairs are are very very good. In fact, my wife's female, uh, Dina, uh, she's done some amazing grouse dog work in her in her career. Lloyd Murray and Dave Hughes say it takes three to five years to develop truly a great grouse dog. And it was just about the four-year period, I think, Dina really started to show her her ability to, to locate and pin a grouse. And I've got a, I've got a three-year-old who last year, at two years old, was not too bad. I mean, she pinned several. She had some that, that ran on her and it flushed on her, but, but she pinned several, so... So we'll see. It's 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 a lot of fun. I love them all, whether they be a, a big running field trial dog or a or a slower dog. Why I, I love them all. I think they're all great. They all give us a lot of a lot of fun. Yep, I'm right there with you, and I do think that that that's one thing I enjoy about bird dogs. It feels you know you have the short hairs, so sometimes when it's when it's you and Susan on a hunt, you know you get to see the short hairs work. But then you you go to the events and the trials, and you see other dogs. And um, I believe was it this spring that you went to a Brittany specific event? Yeah, I filmed. Uh, let's see, I filmed two two or three Brittany field trials. Uh, this this past spring, I did a Brittany trial. Yeah, yeah. The bird dog work in that one. It was extremely dry. Yes. And it yep. wasn't as good as one of the, the field trial I did three years ago was, was a Brittany field trial. And then I did one with um, a, a professional trainer, Sarah Cunningham. And Dave Marshall, the, the handler judge uh, that I mentioned, that was Sarah's husband. He okay. passed away now. but. I did a great program with Sarah on the Brittany, and that was about four, maybe four years ago. And that's that was, if you look for that, it's Sarah Cunningham and Brittany. The Brittany, I think, was the title of it. Okay. Is I was going to ask, I think you answered the question for me, but Lloyd Murray, he's the guy that is typically with Dave Hughes when you, when you do those shows, right? Right. Okay. He owns... Lawn gun setters. Okay. Uh, that yeah, okay. and the lawn gun. The, the two, at least in the northeast or the east, the two kennels that have been best known for grouse dogs has been Grouse Ridge Kennel, which is a setter kennel in New York. Yep, I've heard of that. Then, and then Lawn Gun Kennels in New Hampshire. That's Lloyd Murray. Yeah, I've definitely definitely heard of both of those kennels, even outside of of Bird Dogs Afield. So their their names, the name of their kennel definitely precedes them, and that's that reputation carries weight even over here. Sure. Yeah. 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 Okay. So here's a question, and I think I really I really like the way that you talked about the different approaches to dogs pointing grouse and you know we keep referring to grouse we're, we're, we're talking rough grouse but certainly things apply to different species but the the way that to, the different dogs approach them whereas the field trial dogs are typically dogs that are going to run faster and they're going to they're going to come up on the bird quick and pin it but like you said they've got a point very early, they've got to have a great nose and they've got to be able to scent that bird and stop before they run over the bird because they are coming in hot. And then you've got the other side of things where a dog that works a little bit slower, a little bit more cautious, they may be maybe even ground scenting a little bit, whereas the, the dog that's running faster is typically 
air scenting, body scenting, as far as I understand. But there are two different approaches and both dogs can point grouse. Both dogs can successfully point birds. And I think that's just kind of the kind of the main takeaway here is that there's there are different ways to do it and everybody has their own preference, what you like to see, what you like your dog to do. But there are different ways that, that different dogs handle birds. Oh, there's no question about that, Nick. And for the average bird hunter, all of them will do the job for the average bird hunter. Sure. Uh, you know, they they don't have to worry about, oh, is my dog too fast or too slow? They'll all get the job done uh, in their own way. So, so but I want to comment on that. Yeah, go ahead. Can I comment ahead. a little bit yep. more on that? Yeah. Please. I, I think that if there is one dog that I have watched that has pin, located, pointed, and pinned more birds on an average, it would be the English setter. Now, when you talk to Craig Doherty, and Craig's a good friend of mine, yeah. he's going to argue the, the pointer. <laughs> and we have to, and as you know, we have to very be very careful because pointer people do not like you to to call any other breed a pointer. I mean, you call a short hair a short hair. Don't call it a pointer. Right, right. Uh, yeah, there's only one pointer, and that's what we used to call the English pointer. We don't anymore, but we used to. But I, I, you know, in all the years I've been doing this and following dogs, I think the, the English setter probably does find more more grouse, more, you know, locate, pin, uh, more grouse. But... But again, for the average hunter, why? You know, I'm happy with my short hairs. I yeah. I love what they do, and they give me plenty of action. They really do. So I couldn't ask for anything more. Yeah, when when you talk about guys like Craig Doherty and Dave Hughes, you know they are they're at the they're at the top level. They're at the professional level where the stuff that they're analyzing and looking at is probably considered splitting hairs to guys like you and I, you know, it's, it's 80%. We get 80% of what a good bird dog is with our dogs there. They have to work on that last 20% because they are at the highest level. So it's fun to talk about that stuff. And it's really, it's even more fun to get the opinion and to draw on the experience of guys like Craig and Dave. But for the most part, you, you've got to, you got to maintain your expectation and not get too overwhelmed by that last 20%, you know, let's get the, get the 80% handled and, and then we can think about the 20. The 80% will make the average bird hunter, whether it be grouse or sharp tail or quail, the 80% will make the average bird hunter pretty happy. You got it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So this is one thing I just want to, I want to get your, I kind of know your answer to this question, but I, but I like to have you speak to it. Going to these events, these field trials, grouse trials, it might seem like something that is, oh, that's only for somebody that's way more serious or way more into it than I. But my experience, and I assume your experience has been the same, there's a lot of value in going to a grouse trial or a field trial, walking the braces to see other dogs. There's so much value in seeing how other dogs and hopefully really good dogs how they work, how the train, how the handlers handle them, and exactly what a good to great dog should look like in the field. There's a lot of value in that for the for the amateur bird dog handler, is there not? Oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> oh sure. And at those trials, there are always gallery members that are not field trialers. Yes, they're there for that purpose. 
they're there to watch good dog work and, and see just how these professionals handle the dogs. There's no question about it. And I get a lot of emails asking me about how do I do this, how do I do that, or get into field trials. And, you know, I refer most of them to the, the American field, which lists all the upcoming trials. And, uh, and they, a lot of people are interested in just watching these dogs work. You know, I had a long time dream of, of attending the national and grand junction. And, and I finally did it several years ago and to get on horseback and ride and watch those very, very top dogs. Why, uh, it's a thrill. <laughs> it really is. And to see the top trainers, the trainers you, you've heard about and, and you've read about and to watch them in action. Why it's, that's a lot of fun. And I would recommend that to anyone if they have the opportunity uh, to attend the national field trial in, in Grand Junction, Tennessee. Yeah, good stuff. And and that's been my experience. I haven't been to a lot. I've been to a couple, but very often, you know, people are people are welcoming. They're happy to see new people that are interested in bird dogs, whether you have one or not, or whether you're whether you're entering a dog or not the people that I've come across and I've encountered, they're always happy to see people there. And, and you learn a lot by watching, watching those dogs and you, cause it's one thing to go and read about something. And certainly we should be doing that, but to go and see it and to see what the handlers do, that's, that increases your knowledge much more. So. Oh, sure. Oh my goodness. Yeah. There's no, no question about it. So a couple more for you, Paul. Uh, Susan is, I want to I want to want to give her her due because she's a she's a big part of the show. She's on she's on most if not all of the episodes. I'm curious, what was her upland hunting story? Did she dive into it later in life with you when you got back into it? She did. Yeah, she had never done this and uh <laughs> the first couple of years that I had Dylan why we, we you know everyone goes to northern Maine and and I went up to northern Maine, stayed at a at a camp there, and uh, Susan went, and she stayed in the cabin and read. And she did that for two years. And she finally said after the second year, I'm not going to do this anymore. And I said, you're not going to go to the camp with me? And she said, yes, I am, but I'm going to have a gun, and, and I'm going to hunt. So she did. She went through hunter safety training, and... Uh, we went and looked at some shotguns, and and she said she wanted to think about it. And a few days later, she said, look what I bought. And here she pulls out this nice Caesar Greeny over and under. And uh, I said, where did you buy that? She's got good she, taste. <laughs> yeah, she said, I went to the gun shop that you took me to, and I went up and bought it. And uh, so we had it fitted. We took it to a gunsmith and had it fitted, and... Uh, and and that was it. And a couple of years after that, she wanted her own dog, and so we got her own dog. And uh, and she's been fully behind it, one hundred percent, every since. She just gets really excited. She's all excited about our plans for the fall. So um, she she loves it. She really does. We could be on the road without coming home for two months, and she she wouldn't mind. <laughs> That's how much she enjoys it. Well, that's pretty awesome that, that, you know, the two of you can share that together. And from the story that you told, she started as kind of a spectator. So you, she had right. the opportunity to come along and, and I'm, I'm certain that the dogs had, had quite a bit to do with it, but she had the opportunity to come along and see what the camp experience is like. And she enjoyed that. And, and it left her 
wanting more. She wanted the full experience and and she dove right in. Any tips or were there bumps along the way? I mean, you hear about people talk about when it's your significant other, when it's your wife, you being the teacher is not always the best arrangement, but did you have any bumps like that or did she have to did she have to find her own group of friends or anything like that to pull her in? No, she she has been a very good learner and listener and you know, it's like I guess kind of like teaching your wife to drive a car, you know. <laughs> That's the old saying is you have to be careful. You have to go slow. Sure. <clears throat> have patience because they frequently develop their own ideas, which you may think, well, that's not going to work, but maybe you let them work through it. Uh, but she's been very good about that, and she's totally supportive of, of the hunting and training. She does a lot of off-season work in obedience and different types of... of um, she, she's in an event today in Vermont, uh, you know, a two-and-a-half-hour drive. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, an obedience event. So she likes to take her dogs and use them year-round, uh, not not just for hunting season. So uh, so she's very active with the dogs. An old friend of mine from Minnesota used to tell me that you only have the number of dogs your wife can take care of. <laughs> yeah, there's probably quite a bit of truth to that, huh, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, she, she takes care of, you know, ordering the feed and uh, medications and, and all of that. So... That's that's a great a great help to me, and uh, when we when we pack to go on the road, why she packs all the dog food, everything we need for the dogs. Why she makes sure that that's packed. So she's a great partner. She really is uh, a lot of fun. We have a good time together. We enjoy traveling. She's a good driver. So if we're heading west, you know, if we've got a thirty or forty hour drive ahead of us, why uh, she's a good partner behind the wheel. So I really, really enjoy her company. That's cool. And sometimes she outshoots me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, a little healthy competition. That's good too, Paul. It's it's cool that you that the two of you can share share all these experiences together. Yeah, it is. It is. I'm I'm really fortunate. All right, Paul. Well, just a couple more here for you. First of all, where will Bird Dogs of Field be this fall? You know, it's it's July right now. You and I, along with everybody listening, are getting really pumped up. We've got seasons coming up. They're creeping up fast. You know, Montana, September 1. Uh, the, the lucky ones up in Alaska, they get started next month, which is just crazy to think about. But where will Bird Dogs of Field be this fall? Anything you can share with us? Sure, I, I'd be happy to share. We'll be in uh, northeast Montana, uh, we go out there the end of August, the end of next month, and uh, for the September 1 opener. And we'll be hunting sharp tails and huns out there. Your listeners might enjoy hearing this. I've spoken with a lot of the ranchers and farmers that I've become friends with over the years. And this is, we've been there many, many times. Okay. And the bird numbers seem to really start going down. The last great year was 2015. And uh, the bird numbers started going down. But speaking to some of the ranchers and farmers, they've seen more uh, active leks. And if the listeners aren't familiar with that, that's kind of a meeting ground where the male uh, struts his stuff and, and attracts the females yep. to come in. That's for the sharp tail. So they've seen more active leks this year than they have recently. And they think it might be a better year. So... So we're looking forward to it. We want to be there for the opener, September 1st. 
we'll be there for a couple of weeks and then we come home and we're home for a couple of weeks and then early October we'll be at the Hungry Trout in upstate New York and they have a big uh, rough grouse hunting program there and so we'll be filming there. We're home for I think about a week and then we'll be in Grand Lake Stream, Maine, which is mostly woodcock country. That's where the flights come down from Nova Scotia and New Brunswick, and they go through the Grand Lake Stream area coming south. Uh, and then from Grand Lake Stream, we go directly up to Allagash, Maine, and we're in Allagash for a full week or a little bit more, and that's primarily rough grouse. And then we come home, and then we'll take uh, several day trips up to northern New Hampshire for rough grouse. Okay. So, that's it as of now, and I, I there'll probably be at least one more planned hunt in there that we haven't yet scheduled. So that's our fall schedule right now. Good deal, Paul. Well, I look forward yeah. to seeing the, the result and the produced videos from those hunts, and we'll see those next year, I'm sure. But uh, for now, people are... They're getting excited. They want to go. They want to go watch some bird dog content, some bird hunting stuff. Where is the best place for them to go to see bird dogs afield videos? Well, I think the easiest to navigate is actually my website, okay. which is simply birddogsafield.com, and you click on videos, and they're sorted by year, and everyone is identified nicely, and it's very easy to find all the programs, and most of our major hunting programs and training programs are on that. Now, YouTube has more videos, more it includes all of our short videos too. And YouTube would simply be youtube.com forward slash bird dogs afield. So either way they can get to them. Personally I go to my website first. It's if I want to look at an old video I can find it quicker there. But uh whatever choice you know where wherever people want to go yeah uh, youtube might be easier if they're just using their smart tv but either place will have as many videos as they want to watch for a very long time <laughs> yeah. perfect i've i've watched most on youtube but i don't know that i've i've looked at the website a ton but i want to check that out myself so i will make sure that there are links to both your website and your youtube channel in the show notes and the listeners can find them there paul fuller of Bird Dogs Afield. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on the Project Upland podcast. I enjoy talking to you. I wish you the best of luck this hunting season, and let's keep in touch. Nick, wonderful. Thank you for the opportunity, and the best uh, fall for you, too. Thank you, Paul. Have a great day. You bet. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Project Upland podcast presented by Onyx Hunt and by Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. Dr. Callers, Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food, Gordian Sons Outfitters, Dakota 283 Kennels, and Trinity Kennels. Don't forget to leave us a rating, leave us a review, share the podcast post. You can be next week's winner of the podcast giveaway. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Project Up and Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt.
Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.